The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links here on MMAfighting.com. Hope you're having a great week. A lot of MMA action in store coming up over the next 48 hours plus. We got Bellator. We have the return of Invicta FC tomorrow. The UFC is back at the Apex on Saturday. We're coming off UFC 262 this past Saturday. We have a new lightweight champion of the world. We have a new number Number three contender at 155 pounds. And we also have a perennial lightweight contender at a big time fork in the proverbial road. And we'll talk about that and much more on the show this week as we will crown a new BTL interim champion by show's end. So let us introduce the combatants and we'll get to our first topic. Introducing first a man who has been on fire on the show the last couple of weeks. He performed tremendously in the BTL 50 gauntlet, a lot of people thought he beat Phoenix Carnavali in their semifinal round, but he took the decision loss in stride, came back last week in the Battle of the Alexes, and got the victory. So let us say hello to the Prince of Positivity from MMAfighting.com, the co-host of On to the Next One, Mr. Alex K. Lee. How are you, sir? I'm ready to roll. Look at that number. Look at that number three right next to me. I earned that. I earned that in blood. Paid in full. Dance for me, record. Dance for me. Uh, AK is in great spirits as always as we welcome back the multi-time BTL champion, the winningest player in the history of the program, the man with the fiery hot takes, also from MMAfighting.com, my friend and maybe yours, Jed Mishu, back from a one-week hiatus. How are you, Jed? I'm doing great. You know, I thought I was going to be the first intro because you were saying you know, most fans thought that he beat Phoenix Carnival. I was like, oh, it's got to be me. I'm the first one up. But apparently the fans thought AK won too. Who knew? Way to go, AK. <laughs> well, let's kick this thing off. And I'll preface this by saying if you're a regular reader over at MMAfighting.com, you kind of know how Jed feels about our opening topic. But uh, let us begin by celebrating the new title reign in the UFC's 155 pound division. Charles Oliveira 
was on the brink of being finished in the first round of this past Saturday's title fight against Michael Chandler at UFC 262. It seemed like it was going to be the year of Chandler after round number one. And then 19 seconds later, the referee's pulling Charlie Olives off of Michael Chandler and Dubronx is the man with the gold wrapped around his waist. Before we get into some things that I sort of took away from the fight, for you gentlemen to discuss jed just want to kick it off with your reaction to the victory the fight itself and what you took away from Oliveira becoming the new champion i mean at the risk of sounding like a hater a lot of this is going to be bad so i'm just going to preface it all by saying tremendous comeback by by chucky olives there like he he got beat up in the first round and then Sort of just let that be. It was like, all right, good. We're past it. Came out, looked clean coming out for the second. I was doing play-by-play for the event, and I think that was like actually a comment I said. Oliveira looks like he's fully recovered and ready to rock, and then he came out and did the damn thing. So, like, you can't take anything away from Charles Oliveira because he won that fight. That fight was for the belt, whether it should have been. I think we've talked about that a lot, but a fight was for the belt. So he is the legitimate champion Honestly, though, my big takeaway outside of it, like one great Charles Oliveira showed kind of a toughness that most I think many people didn't really think that he had to him. He has been the hammer mostly for his victories and and not been that in his defeats. So he showed his ability to overcome adversity. And that's that's awesome. But what I left that thinking is, man, there are probably like six or seven lightweights in the UFC that would beat up Charles Oliveira. Like maybe not every time, but that I, I would feel good about their chances to defeat him. Even this current iterate, this improved version of him. Like he's definitely better, but I, I left thinking that his run to the title was a lot more smoke and mirrors than anybody realized. AK, your thoughts on, I know we talked about it on, the post-fight show. I know we talked about it on, on to the next one, but now that we've let a few days sort of uh, digest the fight and digest the victory for one Charles Oliveira, what are your thoughts on just the fight overall and his performance and him becoming the champion? One of my favorite fights of the year so far. Not not every classic fight needs to be a three-rounder or five-rounder. Sometimes you have a first round that has more action than your average three-round fight. It's the, it was incredible, incredible show of of skill and will from both guys, all credit in the world to Chandler. Uh, really, it really could have gone either way. I mean, we see it all the time about, you know, some close championship fights, but this was the And I, I dare anyone to watch that first round and not think like, man, Chandler was, was really that close to ending this. Uh, so yeah, absolutely incredible performance from both guys. I wish, I wish the so-called MMA media, I'm not naming names, but certain pundits uh, who may or may not be on the show, but just stop sort of overanalyzing. I know, this, I, know this, I know this is a debate show. I get it. I get it. I understand. But I wish we could just let this man, Del Bronx, have his moment because it was such it's such a cool story how he came up. Yes, he had uh, some self-inflicted struggles. Let's not sugarcoat it. There's, there's, there's some things that were his own fault that kept him from becoming a, a legitimate UFC contender in the past. And that's fine. But he's got his, he's got his, his uh, stuff together. I'll be family friendly here. He's gone an incredible run at 155 pounds. He's a super exciting fighter. By all accounts, a, a sweat dude, uh, as much as you can be in this, in this uh, space as, as more. And I just wish we don't have to, we didn't have to, you know, look so much like how did he get here? Uh, 
oh, how, you know, dissect the quality of his wins and, oh, but if he fought this guy and fought this guy, if he fought this guy instead, what would have happened? It's, for me, it's just not that important right now. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that on the show probably. But right now, I'm just, I think it was a very cool moment. Uh, and, I, and I think both guys, I've said this before, I think both guys were elevated by it. And I think that's what great main events should do is elevate both guys. And I think that's what happened on Saturday. All right. So, AK, I've watched this fight five times now. Jed is shaking his head. Why, Jed? Why are you shaking your head? AK obviously doesn't understand what the purpose of this show is. I wish we could not analyze and debate and throw out takes about people. What are we here for, my guy? We're not here to just have a celebration. Also, I agree. Very cool moment for Charles Oliveira. It would be a lot cooler if it wasn't, if it didn't have an asterisk because. This one does. Like, I'm sorry. This just has an asterisk. There's no asterisk. There's no asterisk. There is. He he has the title and is not the best lightweight in the world. He did not beat Who the is? best. Dustin Poirier is the best lightweight in the world. Everybody knew that he coming didn't beat, into the he, he didn't beat the He didn't beat the best lightweight in the world. He didn't, but he is the next best guy, and the best guy is retired. Habib is the best lightweight in, like, if we had a Mortal Kombat tournament, but Habib's retired, I'm willing to – set that aside at least in this context but like Dustin Poirier is clearly the top dude I would actually think I think that Justin Gaethje beats Poirier in a rematch but Poirier has the win he's the top guy and like if you're the number three ranked dude in the organization and you beat the number four that doesn't make you the top guy that's not how math works I'm very sorry about that but that's just the reality and like it is a cool moment but we were being disingenuous and we're just being ridiculous. We act like this doesn't have an asterisk. He gets the full belt because that's fine. Lots of people have had full belts that have asterisks. And this is one of them. Like he is not the best lightweight in the world right now. He will get a chance to prove it because I think he is going to face the winner of Poirier McGregor. But like, if you actually think he's the best lightweight in the world on merit, not just like, I believe that he would beat Dustin Poirier, then we are very different human beings because I think Dustin Poirier <laughs> is very clearly the best guy in the world. AK? Okay. Well, uh, look, look, Charles Oliveira, I agree. Look, he, he didn't he didn't get a lot of those big fights he needed. Yeah, it, it sucks. It sucks that he doesn't have a Gaethje win on his resume. He doesn't have a McGregor win on his resume. Uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm not saying that it's like, you know, those other those guys' management were like avoiding him per se. I think they had very good reasons to take other matchups that were not Charles Oliveira. So it's not a matter of him being ducked or anything like that. But there's, there's just only so much you can control, right? And, and I think, I, I've just said this many times, I know, but he, he really seemed like on another class than everyone that he's fought so far. Now, would he look that way against a Poirier? I don't know. Would he look that way against a Gaethje? I don't know. Conor McGregor again. All these guys that are, as Jed is kind of implying, like just by just from what we know of uh, of who they fought and fighting each other, that they're a step above him. And again, it's it's just, I feel like it's so unfair to say that about Oliveira until he gets his chance to fight those guys. So for me, I thought Ferguson, I thought was a big one, was a big step up, a, a big... Is it? Uh, yeah, I think it was. I think it was huge. You know, I think it was a huge. Now, do you absolutely. feel good about that win? I didn't feel yes. good about it at the time. I feel totally, I totally justified did. in my belief about he it. Was, after he, he, had, he had one loss, one of your guys who you would put above uh, Oliver, Justin Gaethje, right? That's it. He had that one loss, snapped the 12 fight winning streak. So, again, I, I, like, we can pick apart people's records all we want. 
uh, again, and, and it's very easy to look back on Ferguson didn't say, oh, okay, well, maybe that win wasn't as good and that wasn't as good and could have lost this one. And, but 12 wins was hellaciously impressive. And for the longest time, he was considered like the de facto number two guy at 155 pounds. That is that is almost not double. Again, people can, like, can put what they want. But he had the record being – that's why people want the the the, uh, the uh, Khabib so badly, right? So – Again, did he beat prime Tony Ferguson? I don't know. We'll never know. It, lo- it looks like Tony's in a bit of a decline. But he, he did beat a guy who, but he did beat a guy who had won twelve. He beat a guy who had won twelve of his last thirteen. That's a fact. That's a fact. You, 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 you can't. You can say how he looks right before that. Like, that's also a fact. I can pick that's arbitrary. That's what. That's a, like yeah. That's a what? Yeah, that's arbitrary. Weird. That's arbitrary. That's you you're, you're saying that one fight. No, you're saying that one you fight weighs more than those twelve other fights. Person. No, that's no, 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 no. You're saying that one fight. You're saying that one fight. You're saying that one fight weighs outweighs the other twelve fights that he won. Which is again, I'm if that's your argument you're making, I'm not saying it's completely wrong, but I'm saying that is what you're saying. I'm saying the one fight is proof positive. That Tony Ferguson is not in his prime anymore. I'm not saying he, he lost invalidated to Justin twelve victories. I'm saying he lost to Justin because he lost to Justin Gaethje. He's Ferguson. not in his prime. Yes, because he got his ass beat and knocked out like TKO'd. Whatever the same thing. Nobody's in their prime just, after that. Like, do you just be honest? Can you honestly tell me that you have questions about whether even questions about whether Tony Ferguson was still in his prime? When Charles Oliveira beat him, sure. Because that's I'll, 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 I'll have questions. I'll have questions about any good fighter when they when they when they lose when they lose two in a row or if they come off a bad loss. I'll, I'll have the questions about anybody. But but to say that that Tony Ferguson is like a special case where it's like, oh yeah, no, he was he was particularly diminished by this loss to again one of probably one of the top three lightweights in the world, who by the way has done this to a lot of other people, and I never hear them question like, oh well, Jason Gaethje, he only beat that guy because that guy was you know was on the decline or something like that like. So we're clear. I, it's, it, I think Tony Ferguson's yeah. problem was like five years ago, actually. I've been making this argument for years because he kept getting sure. hurt by people who aren't very good or like yeah. at the time weren't that great. Like he got hurt by Cowboy mm-hmm. for like a minute. He, did. Like, he gets hurt by everybody. And yet and yet yeah. it wasn't until the Gacy fight. And, and I, I get that. You're, I know what you're saying. You're saying you, you knew this all along. But for most people, it wasn't until the Gacy fight that I think a lot of people were were kind of like, oh, wow, he maybe he really maybe he really is diminished. But it wasn't, he, he had been taking damage in a lot of fights, and it wasn't until he actually lost one where he took a lot of damage that this whole this like perception like suddenly changed. I'm like, oh, we don't need to see him fight Habib anymore. Like it shifted very quickly. It, it really did. All right, oh, hold on, gentlemen. You, gentlemen, I, I love I love the vigor here. I love it. I gotta I gotta jump in. It was nice to like sit back and let you guys do your thing. We will talk a lot more about Tony Ferguson in round number two, but. I want to kind of go back to what Oliveira just accomplished. I know that you can call it asterisk, call it what you want, but that fight was great. Like it was really fun to watch. And when we think about Charles Oliveira, AK, I mean, that was his 28th UFC fight and his career for more than half of that run was one of not living up to expectations, not living up to potential for years. He was labeled when you, when you talked about Charles Oliveira, people would say he's a quitter. The guy quits. Missed weight a ton at 145. Didn't perform great when he made the move to 155. When he started winning fights at 155, he said, I want to go back to 145. And when he wins the title, he said, I'll still go back to 145. So we still have questions about this man. But this guy, through 18, 19 fights in the UFC, was barely a 500 fighter. 10 wins in his first 19 UFC fights. And since then, he's been dominant. A lot of finishes. He's won nine in a row. And 
no matter how he did it, he is now in the record books as a UFC world champion. So, AK, let me ask you this. Considering where this guy was nine, ten fights ago and the way everybody viewed him, is this the most improbable run to a title in UFC history? And if it isn't, where do you put it? I don't think it is. I, I hate to bring this up because I'm pretty sure Jed will at least be along the same lines, but I don't know. He might disagree. Uh, Michael Bisping, a name I think that comes to a lot of our minds when we think unlikely champions, guys who took a long road. I believe he had the record uh, before Olair for most uh, team fights before winning a title. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, so, because for me, for Bisping, the difference is, yes, Bisping from an earlier uh, period in his career was was viewed as a contender. That's that's for sure. I think like he won, however, his first many UFC fights, and he, he was a British star. You definitely had people saying like, "Oh yeah, this guy, this guy's going to compete for a title uh, someday," which you which you maybe didn't have with Oliveira, like you said, through the first sort of like 500 run of his his career at featherweight and then later lightweight. But but I do think Oliveira, the trend he's on, is stronger than the trend that Bisping was on before he finally uh, got his shot. Uh, yeah, Bisping had that win over Anderson Silva. That was huge. Uh, and, but then he only got the title fight because, uh, you know, a, a last-minute thing. It was uh, uh, what Weidman got injured, right? And then so he got so – Bisping got to fight Rockhold again. He had, he had been beaten so handily the first time. It seemed really ugly that he was going to win. So the fight, so the matchup itself and the fight itself adds to that in addition to, like, sort of this long journey that – that Bisping had. So it, they're, they're different, but I'll give, I'll say Bisping, I, I think was the slightly more unlikely one. If only because Oliveira has been so dominant uh, at 155 since committing himself to that weight class. And again, getting these finishes and things. Like, it felt like he was at least trending towards a title fight, even if no one in their right mind would have picked him to, uh, to unsee Habib. So he needed a little bit of luck, but it felt like he would at least earn a title fight. The Bisping one, it, it almost felt like that ship had sailed until he beat Silva and then he got the uh, got the Rockhold remaster replacement. So I'll lean towards Oliveira. I'll go as far as second, second most unlikely. Jed, I, I've, I have a feeling you're not going to go the Bisbing route. I mean, maybe you will, but I, I would kind of argue against that pick because they gave Bisbing a lot of opportunities to be the guy, at least like get him to a title fight. So many times he was in like, you win and you're in, and he didn't get it done. And then he finally did. And then, you know, the division just happened to shape itself up in a much more competitive way. And then he just sort of fell into the title shot and did the damn thing. So do you agree that maybe Bisbing's run was more improbable to a title? Is it Oliveira? Is it somebody else? One name just really hit me and that's probably the correct answer. But what are your thoughts on this? (laughs) The name that you would want is the correct one. Uh, So it's definitely not Oliveira. I think there are a couple of people uh, that outrank him in this. I do agree uh, with AK here. I think Bisping, uh, Mike, I think you're just – I just like I just distinctly remember the Bisping thing, and sure, if you're going by the beginning of their career, like they were going to give Bisping whatever chance he could, but you nailed it in that he missed every opportunity. Like this dude had a history of just dropping the ball in the spots that he should have succeeded in, and then, then even after the Anderson Silva win, like they didn't give him the title shot. Like that, he wasn't getting a title shot there. But then because uh, Weidman got injured, he stepped in on short notice. And even then, if you're going just at that point, you're like, yeah, he gets a title shot. Luke Rockhold had dropped him with a body kick, I want to say, and then one-armed guillotined him. (laughs) Like he just emasculated him like 17 months before that. So for me, I think Bisping, uh, for the totality of his career, I think, and how late he was and old and 
At that point, he had one eye, though. Obviously, we didn't know that. Like to me, that probably is is either one or two. Uh, the other names that really jump out at me: one, uh, Javier dos Anjos. I don't know if he's more or less than Oliveira. I'm willing to go either way, but RDA was just he was a very good dude who had picked up losses that seemed like they would set him back. Like he'd lost to Clay Guida and stuff like that. And then he just sort of fell into being the champion. Like and not fell in as as an accident because he earned it, but like he got worked by Habib, but then Habib was gone forever and he put together some wins and beat the hell out of Anthony Pettis and then he was your champion. Uh, so to me, that one always felt very improbable. But the one I'm going to go with is, I mean, the reality is I don't think Oliveira is the least improbable champion active. Jan Blachowicz, like Yanni Blacko, man, who in their right mind thought Jan Blachowicz was getting getting a belt, even getting a title shot for the last seven years he's been in the promotion? Like he lost every big fight he was in mostly. He never showed anything that would make you think not only is this guy going to get his way to a title shot, he is going to win the belt. He was a perennial, you know, fringe top 10 kind of light heavyweight because 205 is a bad division. And then suddenly, like, look, I, we're not going to dive into it because this isn't the point of this <laughs> whole topic. But, like, also kind of a smoke and mirrors title run there. Like, you can pick apart how he got to the belt. He beat Luke Rockhold, who is Luke Rockhold. Jacques Ray, he won a split D over, who's now cut and hasn't won a fight in like a decade. Uh, knocking out Corey Anderson, I think at the t- at at one point in time, Daniel Cormier told somebody, "Great man, you knocked out Corey Anderson. Congratulations!" Which has always been like the funniest offhand remark in MMA to me. So like he had a bit of smoke and mirrors to get there, but then he did the damn thing. Like Jan Blahovich is not supposed to have a belt. He sure as shit isn't supposed to still have the belt after he fought AZ Adesanya, and yet he is our 205 champion. So that's my man. That's number one for me is Yanni Blanco. Polish power is just beautiful, baby. I thought like maybe Matt Serra was the correct answer because he went through a freaking reality show and then beat GSP. So that was kind of like the, at the top of my head, the one that I thought of as I was rambling on, but – not that's bad. the biggest upset. The only thing is there's no journey. That that's the only thing with Sarah is there's yeah. no real journey. I mean, I mean, I'm sure he has his own personal he journey. Doing wrong. There's it. Chris Lytle on top. But I'm saying they, but, a bad decision. Yeah, Matt Sarah was like was like not. I'm saying was not like a super well known fighter. I mean, the UFC wasn't as as popular in that time, yeah. so obviously he couldn't be as well known. But yeah, the, the, and and again, I'm sure if he writes a book someday, it'll be like an awesome personal journey. But the fans didn't really get to see that climb. Other than when he climbed through the uh, obviously Delta Fighter, the comeback season, which is which is amazing. I love the Matt Sarah story. So for me, biggest upset, but I think we're talking journey, kind of like unlikely journey. All then, I'm then saying, you know, it goes to one of the guys we mentioned. Yeah. If three years ago you had been like, guys, guess who the 205 champ's gonna be in by the end of 2020? Yeah. I would have I would have bet you anything <laughs> I own that Jan will have it. Like you're telling me, not only is John Mahomes going to put together a win streak that mandates a title shot, he's going to beat John Jones to get the belt. <laughs> Obviously, well, he didn't do that, but like, yes. still, it's just insane that he ever got the title. It's absolutely so I, I do it. I do agree with that for the most part. And I'm actually a little upset I didn't think of Jan because I have, I'm, I'm someone who has picked against Jan literally every fight he's ever fought. I think the only time I, the only got right, one I got right was 
uh, Jacques. I think I picked him to beat Jacques. That might have been it. Oh. I've been wrong on Jan so many times. So it's amazing you I didn't think of that. But every time you've been right a oh lot. Oh my too, gosh, is the thing. I know, dude. I know. But uh, so, but the only thing I would say is, is uh, the John Jones thing factor does, does like you wouldn't have to factor John Jones in that because there is always that sense that like, well, John's going to lose the title through his own stupidity at some point anyway. I know that's a very cruel thing to say, but I mean, it's happened like three times. So I'm, I'm just being real on that. So, uh, but uh, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think I might still put Jan behind uh, uh, Do Bronx, but the RDA one actually got me. The RDA one actually like, you actually remind me of that. And I was thinking like, he also had weird losses to like Clay Guida. He got submitted by, by Clay Guida. Um, he got knocked up by like Jeremy Stevens, like that. That is one I remember, and he was supposed to be part of the. Jeremy Stevens thing is the funniest thing, maybe. Because <laughs> like, he didn't get knocked out by like a beautiful punch. Stevens right. threw a second uppercut from like his yeah. hip and just colded him. Like it was awesome. Yeah. Right, that's and it's a, that's Jeremy like not Stevens throwing just down here yeah. and reaching up. And I'll, I'll... All contenders and champions have like a lot of them have weird losses in their records, but like no, he had a, a couple. Habib, baby, Habib, he has, has no losses. Well, he has no losses. Period. Uh, but yeah, RDA, and, and that's not real. RDA was also supposed to be just like a B side of the summer of like the Showtime Pettis era, like the summer of Pettis. I don't remember him being given much of a chance. Like we, I think we all respected him. I don't remember him having much chance at all, uh, as far as the odds makers and people predicting the fight. It was just like, oh yeah, Pettis is has had a great run. Just going to keep keep continuing through this guy, and then the both careers both went in very different directions after that. So I, I think actually that was a good cut that I might put above uh, Bill Bronx, maybe, maybe. So that that wasn't bad, Chad. I think I put all like I think I put all the ones that I said just because like. Look, I mean, Oliver has – he had this perception coming in, but he's also still in, like, 32 and super talented. Like, Jan Blachowicz is is a good fighter, and I love Jan Blachowicz. I am as big a LPP fan as there exists. But <laughs> I don't think anyone would call him, like, super talented. That's not, that's not what Jan is. And to a lot of extent, like, RDA isn't a talented fighter either. He has maximized the skills he does have, and he's – got a lot of skills but like you didn't walk in and be like oh that guy is an athletic and combat marvel and like in a lot of ways Oliveira is that dude like yeah this guy's a genius in on the ground and he's added striking so it's not like at the beginning of his career at any point during his career I would have never been like it's impossible that Charles Oliveira puts together a title run it'd be improbable certainly at points of it but not impossible Whereas like Jan Blachowicz was impossible. Like that's, he did the, Jan Blachowicz did the impossible. Before we, how, before we move on, Mike, I know, I know we're going to move on, but I do want to say, I just love, I love this topic of conversations because it's, I'm, I'm happy, everyone we mentioned, I'm happy that they all have UFC champion under their name. Jan Blachowicz, Rafael Dos Anjos, Charles Oliveira, Matt Serra. Uh, you know, it's, it's just, MMA is great. MMA is great. We can be we can be cynical about it sometimes, but I just want to say MMA is so much fun. You just you just don't, don't know. You really don't, I don't know. Don't think this counts because I don't think that it it actually works. But we did not mention, and at the very least deserves a mention. Misha Tate getting a UFC belt is that should never have happened either. Like that is <laughs> well, like it just sure, yeah, because I, like Ronda sure. was Ronda, and then like yes, there's you run that back a hundred times. There's just no there's not a line for her to get there. Like she was even getting kind of whooped up by Holly, but then the fifth round happened. Like just 
That's super improbable. I don't think it's as improbable as Oliveira, probably, but I do think that we should mention that because that, like, that was a that was one of the few times that somebody won a belt where I was like, man, that's awesome. Like Bisping was one, and Tate mm-hmm. was. I was like, man, that's that's really cool. Yeah, times. that fight was absolutely ridiculous too, which uh, makes it even better. But last thing before we move on, because Jed even said it, like it seems pretty clear that the winner of Poirier McGregor three on July 10th, it's a no brainer next in line for the belt. And I'm pretty confident, you know, in that no doubt about it. Poirier, it's definite. McGregor, more than probable. And we've seen wacky things happen, but that seems to be where smart money is for Charles Oliveira. Now for Chandler, Jed Mishu, and I know you you picked Chandler to win. I mean, this guy was seconds away from having that title wrapped around his waist. And the more I watched that fight, I've watched it five times now, the more I wonder what would have happened if Chandler just let Oliveira stand back up after he rocked him in the first. We just said, get up, bro. Would we be having the same conversation right now? But hindsight is a fickle beast, as you know. So Chandler says, you know what? I've been here before, but in 12 months, you guys, I'm going to be the guy with that title wrapped around my waist. And Jed, you know, this division is craziness. It's the flagship division of the UFC. But if you're Sean Shelby right now, what's the next move for Michael Chandler on the road to fulfilling this 12 months, this 12 month promise that he has put out to the world? So, cause I know we went really long on, on the first part. I'm going to try and keep this as quick as possible. I will just say everyone knows my feelings on Michael Chandler and his quality of being a fighter. Uh, that being said, he handled the loss tremendously well. So full props to him. Uh, looks good. So also credit to him there. And shout out to the MMA on point boys because they had Chandler do like an actual full breakdown of his fight with Oliveira. Uh, and he's like really honest where he's just like, yeah, I probably should have just stood up instead of going to the ground with him. But like at the time I felt like it was the right call, yada, yada, made mistakes. So He's taking this loss as well as can be, and that's that's great. He he's showing a lot of the a lot of the reasons that people think that he is destined for greatness. So good for him. That being said, he's not destined for greatness. He's a liar. He's not getting the belt ever because he's not good enough to get it. However, if he wants to get back in the conversation, the next fight is super obvious. It's Justin Gaethje. Gaethje doesn't have a dance partner right now. I, I'm not sure why he doesn't have a dance partner, but Gaethje needs one fight to challenge the winner of the lightweight upcoming title fight we talked about between the winner of Poirier McGregor and Oliveira. Gaethje needs to win in between then, get Chandler there. Gaethje's going to knock Chandler out. It's going to be awesome. Then he can fight for the title. If Michael Chandler pulls a miracle out of his ass and beats that, then he only needs one more win, maybe he takes on Benny Darius or somebody else. That's his path back to the title, and it starts with Justin Gaethje. Um, and frankly, Charles Oliveira should really want that because if there's a person who would be like, imagine Michael Chandler, like almost killed Chucky Olives. Can you just even conceive of what Justin Gaethje will do to that man? Chucky Olives should spend every facet, every penny he makes avoiding a fight with Justin Gaethje. So, you know, go train Michael Chandler for that fight because that's what's coming next. Agree, AK? Chandler Gaethje, Gosh, that's the fight? That started off somewhat positively. It took such a nasty turn, but I guess I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Uh, I, I'm not going to argue with that. I think it's an amazing fight. Uh, I mentioned this on to the next one. If I if I were the one doing the matchmaking, and there's almost zero chance this happens, uh, especially if McGregor is the one who loses on uh, on July 10th, UFC 264. I, I would love to see if, if Poirier loses. I would love. I think it'd be cool if, if Chandler got that fight. Uh, seems unlikely, but 
I would like to see that. And I would definitely like to see him fight McGregor. But if McGregor lost, there's pretty much zero chance he would want to fight Chandler next. But again, this, this is a, if I have the matchmaker hat on and I can make any matchup I want, that is uh, what I would like to see. I do, unfortunately, somewhat agree with Jed that I don't know how to say he's not good enough to win the UCL. Again, I don't want to say about any fighter, as we kind of had this whole discussion. There's a lot of guys who we would have said that about, and you know, circumstances happen, and they peak at the right time, they get the right matchups, and certain champions just move out of the way, and they win the title. So it's not that it can't happen. I think it won't happen for a while. Like I'm talking like at least 2023. I'm saying he has to rebuild, sort of rebuild himself. Because, you know, when you start that high, it's hard to stay there. It's really hard to stay there unless he gets a Gaethje fight and beats a Gaethje or gets a Poirier fight and beats a Poirier. Then who knows? Right back into it. But that's a that's a big, big, big if. So but I think he becomes, you know, someone the USC can really rely on. I see him headlining a lot of fight nights, uh, a lot of uh, pay-per-view main card appearances. And and, and if the, if the Del Bronx thing uh, ever happens again, look, they have that one round, uh, so much footage in that first round to sell the fight. It's it's a sellable rematch whenever it happens, um, even if it's uh, might not be for the title. Who knows? Uh, but so, yeah, I, I'm just I, I think he's going to do well for himself in the UFC. I think it's a long road back to even contending for a title again, much less winning it. But uh, I think uh, he'll he'll take care of the company, and the company's going to take care of him. So he'll 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 be very successful in his UFC run, even if it doesn't uh, ever end in a UFC championship. Very quickly, yeah. do you if if McGregor loses, you think that I actually think McGregor might take a Chandler fight? Like if really, he he's got to. He, think he, thinks- he has to get fights because he has to fight his contract so he can go box. And yeah. like I mean, the, the Nate is always there. Like that's there in perpetuity, but like. Yeah. Nate is also just tough to make like that work. Like Nate's gonna negotiate and do his thing, and I, I, I don't know. Chandler, Chandler's a winnable fight for him. Chandler is a hot, like is a name certainly to some extent or level. Like I think that's in play. I wouldn't say it's likely, I guess, but I do think it's in play. I would hope so. I would, I would hope it's at least be considered, depending on how that fight turns out. But McGregor, so unpredictable. Win or lose, so unpredictable. Yeah. What he's gonna do next? It's like who else is gonna play play the mic game with him? Like really, like that's interesting. Like, I think Chandler is kind of it at lightweight right now. Unless it's Tony Ferguson, that would be awesome. Except for it would be really sad to watch Tony get clocked, but uh, it would be a cool fight. Well, we discussed a lot about the main event. That was not the only big story coming out of that event and that division. We will hit that in round two. But good start to this one. This is like a barbershop conversation more than an actual show and a debate but uh the point for the opening round goes to with a 10 to nine and a half score jed mishu is on the board negativity wins baby that's a long it's a long round that's a long round yeah there's a pride well let us uh right there The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Well, I mean, we, 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 I mean, we discussed round two for like 10 of the minutes, the co-main event. And I would have prefaced this topic right off the oh. bat by saying that what Benil Dariush did this past Saturday was incredibly impressive. His victory over Tony Ferguson this is total one-way traffic. He mauled Ferguson, almost submitted him with that nasty heel hook. I have no idea how Tony Ferguson didn't submit. The man got Elon Musk's attention for crying out loud, and he is now the number three ranked 155-pounder in the world. The man kicked ass, so this is not taking away from his performance whatsoever. As impressive as the performance was, the story of this fight in the aftermath is about Tony Ferguson, a guy who was on a long, long winning streak. The fight with Habib Nurmagomedov was one of those fights that got away for years. Maybe time wasn't kind over the years in that regard, but now he's on the heels of three lopsided losses in a row. Got stopped by Gaethje a year ago, dominated by Charlie Olives, and now dominated again by Benil Darius. So AK, Tony Ferguson says he's pissed. He's not done. He's coming back to, to show the people that he ain't done. That's what he's saying. So my question is, do you believe him? Do you think Tony's done? Or is it more about the fact that he just fought three of the very best in the world, a la Tyron Woodley? I mean, I believe him. I believe he's motivated. I, I believe in his mind he wants to compete. I I, I don't think uh, he's discouraged at all. I, I think uh, as, as he's – look, he's saying all the right things that a, a guy who was once again one of the top three lightweights in the world and is now on a losing streak, he, he's saying all the right things – that that kind of person in that position should be saying. It's like, no, if you thought I was fired up after that second consecutive loss, this third consecutive loss, oh, like now I'm, now you're going to see me, you know, the real comeback. But he just turned, I think, 37 in February. And there's, there's, he, he is who he is as a fighter, you know, um, as much as we, I think we somewhat agree. Like I said, I, I don't know if he completely fell off a cliff at, at some point, but obviously he's not, the same guy he was during the the real uh, the chunk of that twelve fight win streak, right? We, we that, that's that's we can agree. That's just logical, right? We can agree on that. I still think he's a high level fighter, as good as he was during that run. I mean, hard to say, right? Um, so all the credit to Justin Gaethje, uh, Charles Oliveira, Benil Dariush. They, they might have beaten that best version of Tony Ferguson. We don't, well, you know, we don't know that. Who knows, right? It, it's you don't want to take anything away from them and just say it's because uh, Ferguson's on the decline. But you know, as these results pile up. It's hard not to say he has got a lot of, we said 37 years old uh, in, in life years. In fight years, he's like, he's a hard 50, you know? And there's just certain explosiveness and a certain, uh, like his reflexes. And it's just, it's like, a, it's almost imperceptible. At this, when you're at this level in the UFC and you're in, as we always say, like the deepest division in all of, you know, in the entire sport, it's like, you can't lose that quarter. You can't lose a quarter step. You can't lose eighth of a step. Because these other guys are 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 peaky, they're getting better and better and better. So it's it sucks to say that like he's he's done as a contender, but I I don't know. You know, I don't know how you can come to any other conclusion than that. So uh yeah, I I, I think 
his best days are behind him. That's a fact. Uh, and I guess, I don't know, are there still good days ahead? Uh, you know, again, I think, I guess that's what, that's sort of what we're here, sort of what we're here to discuss, aren't we? Chad, what do you think? Um, you know, maybe are you with AK? Maybe his best days are behind him or are we, or have we turned the page altogether? Are we on a whole different wavelength at this point after these three consecutive losses? You're asking one of the sports preeminent Tony Ferguson haters if he believes that three, <laughs> three losing fight Tony Ferguson is going to make a comeback. And I'm going to just say no because he is clearly done. Like he can get wins because he is – it's a really interesting decline. Like if I'm being honest about it, it's it's really interesting because I think Daniel Cormier may have said this on the broadcast or maybe it was later – uh, or maybe it was somebody else entirely. So I guess maybe don't take this as gospel. But somebody at this point said, like, when in the middle of the fight as it was happening, you know, Tony Ferguson's a weird dude who does a lot of weird stuff. And it's great when it works out, but it's not working out anymore. And so now he's just getting beat up. And, like, that is the most succinct summation of it. Like, Tony Ferguson has never been a defensively savvy fighter. Like, he's just tough as shit and has cardio for days. He is still tough as shit and has cardio for days, but like he definitely has lost some of the fast twitch. He's 37 in a division where fighters age like milk. Like he's just not like that's not coming back and he doesn't have like the underlying fundamental technical skill to survive that. And like is that's one of the most interesting parts of fighting to me cuz there are like true all-time greats they can succeed well past their prime. Like Anderson Silva lost a lot in like his back stretch. But if you're being like, if you're going back and looking at everything, there's a good argument that like his actual prime, like where he had his best, where he still had his full fastball was like middle of his title reign. But, but he still kept the belt for probably like two years after he lost his fastball just because he had a depth of skill and technical ability to fall back on. I'm like, so then you can see 40, what is 45 year old Anderson Silva, like still being a really difficult matchup for guys like Israel Adesanya and Uriah Hall, even though his chin's totally shot. And like George St. Pierre was not at his best when he took on, you know, probably like the last three dudes he defended his welterweight against. Like he had just lost an edge there because that's what happens to everybody. Truly elite fighters, they have such a foundation of of ability that they can go back to the well on. And like Tony Ferguson was an elite fighter, no doubt about it. But a lot of the foundation of his game was built on not good fundamentals. Like that's just it. Like that's just the reality. And then you start to see that decline happen where he gets dropped by Anthony Pettis who – is not the Anthony Pettis that should be like really doing that to him, especially at their that points in their careers. And so now you see here, and like he can't get that back. You don't you don't add the fundamental ability that he needs right now to get up from bottom because like Justin Gaethje beat his ass on the feet. I'm even willing to extend the olive branch to, to AK from round one and say, you know, there's a at least an argument to be made here that like. That was just Justin Gaethje being better, and that Tony, that that wasn't that Tony is depleted. I think that it, he was, but like that fight was contested in a striking battle, whatever. 
But the last two fights, like, it's just been – the book is, is out. Like, hey, Tony actually isn't a great defensive wrestler, and he has no get-up. He's going to try useless Bravo chokes from the bottom, and if you're just aware of that, like, then you're just going to be able to sit on him and beat him up for a while. Like, and that's not going to get better. Like, the other – the other honestly, the other huge problem for Tony is that, like, there's nobody in the top of the division that you can match him up that won't put the wood through him. Like there is no like RDA, maybe you run that rematch, and but like I would not feel at all confident that Tony beat wins that rematch because their first fight was really good. And RDA can still just take him down and sit on him. Like Islam Makachev would beat the hell out of Tony right now. Like Paul Felder maybe just engaged in like a brawl on the feet, and maybe Tony can do something a little more there. Like there's just nobody in the top, like the top 15 in that division that I don't think just works him. And so like, that's just a really tough position. If you give him unranked dudes, still got a lot of talent, like still going to get wins, but there's just no clear path for him. I mean, he can't get a title. There's no way I will bet anything anyone wants that he never gets his way to a title again in the UFC. And I just don't see that there's a way for him to put together a good win streak. Like, Maybe at welterweight, maybe, but like that's not a title win streak because the top of that has wrestlers. So I guess just he's just done, man. Like he's gonna keep fighting, and that's good. Make your money. I'm not here to tell anybody not to get paid, but he's gonna lose a lot more than he wins from here on out. So what would you do, Jed? So what, like, what would you feed him to a hungry up and comer like? just outside the top. I mean, like you said, this division is a murderer's row. Like even if you get to 16, 17, 18, you're looking at guys like Drew Dober and 30 who I'd probably, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're looking at like Tiago Moises is fighting Islam Makachev and I would probably figure Tiago Moises to beat Tony Ferguson right now. Like it's just the way that it is. So, I mean, do you, do you just throw him like way back and just see what happens? I mean, cause the guy, the UFC is not going to cut him because you saw the reaction he was getting in Houston. He was the star of the freaking pay-per-view, even though he wasn't in the main event, even though he got, he got beat badly. He was still the star of the pay-per-view. The guy creates buzz. People love Tony Ferguson. So they're going to give him another shot. How do we handle this? I think, I think there are two fights that you can make for him. I think one's the RDA rematch because that is ostensibly the most likely fight he can win amongst the top dudes. Uh, I don't favor him to win it, honestly, but like there's a history, that's a fight you can make, and that's okay. I think what I would do if I had the book, uh, I would I know Islam Makachev is matched up with Tiago Moises. Uh I I think Islam's gonna win that. And I, I would just make that fight. You you try and cash in on the whatever there is left of the Tony Habib. And a lot of that's just dead now because Everyone is fully aware how that fight would have gone at any point in time that it was booked. But you try and cash in on that. Uh, if Tony wins, then great. I, he can't and he wouldn't. But then when he loses, the problem is he's like he's still like six or seven in the division because of what he did previously. It's the same with Tyron Woodley. Like Woodley kept a high ranking, clearly wasn't that dude anymore and should have been much lower in the rankings. But because he's still such a high name, a lot of people are going to call him out to try and, you know, step on his his drowning head to get to the next level. And so I think you just do it with the guy that is 
I think Islam's the next guy. I really do. I think that's the dude who's going to end up getting the belt in two years. So I think you boost him. You have a storyline there. And then when he loses that, then Tony's at the bottom of the 15. And then you can match him up against a non-ranked dude to either move that guy into the rankings or maybe let Tony put together a win streak. But there's just like, I don't know, like Nate Diaz. Is Nate Diaz going to fight him after he gets beat by Leon Edwards? No, because he's probably probably going to fight Conor McGregor after Conor loses to Poirier in the rematch. Like, there's just not, there's nothing for him. So I think you just try and do Islam and capture whatever of the Habib Tony magic you can. Do you agree with that, AK? Do you give him a step back? Yeah, do you I, do? I mean, I, a lot of a lot of people like the Felder idea. Hmm. We're seeing a lot of Alex Wendling on the show last week said. Ferguson versus Donald Cerrone. And that seems to be a popular pick amongst the commenters right now. But what do we do yeah. here? Uh, gosh, I, I I know that the Makachev thing has been discussed. First of all, hey, what if Makachev loses to Tiago Moises, Jed? Are we, come on, what? How are we, how, poor Tiago Moises just being removed just being removed from this equation. How dare you, sir? How dare you? I think Tiago Moises is a really good fighter. I think he's going to get worried because I think Islam Makachev <laughs> is like the next dude. Is- Islam's a beast. I just wanted to shout out Tiago Moises. Yeah, Poor guy. Not even, mentioned. not even getting mentioned here. And there, there, he has a fight. I was like, Islam's not free. He has a fight coming up. All right. Uh, also, but I get it. Yes. We're, we're all assuming. Go ahead. Close, but continue. We're, yeah. We're all assuming. We're all assuming he takes uh, Tiago. And look, we've been wrong about these things before, but I get it. When I say we all, I mean the general consensus out there seems to not even realize that the Tiago Moises fight is happening. So he does have a fight, but I guess uh, people are already saying, well, Makachev beats him and then moves on to a name as Ferguson, as we suggested. I don't like it. I don't, I, I do not need to see Ferguson mauled like that again. Uh, I'm sure he'd be all for it. He could sell the fight. Yes. The, the, the uh, Habib junior stuff with is sellable. Uh, Ferguson would love to be like, Oh, I'm, be- I'm beating up your boy. This should have been you, you know, just, just watch out. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, your, your boy's taking the, 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 the beating that you should have taken. You ran away, blah, all kinds of tweet stuff that uh, poor Habib just wants to be retired. Oh, I, I've gone in a very different direction with Ferguson thoughts. Uh, again, I know I mentioned some other shows. I just like the idea of him trying 170, not to be a contender. I think there's almost no chance because wrestlers, there's wrestlers at 172. They'd be way bigger than him and it'd be even more depressing. No, this is strictly go up to 170 just to find some fun fights. This is how I want him to, to I would think is the best way for his career to close out. I want to see him in there with a Robbie Lawler, with 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 a Matt Brown, with a Carlos Condit. I would love to see that. And today, guys, today I actually thought of a really good matchup, potentially at 170. This guy just became unshackled, uh, to put it kindly, from a questionable uh, presence in his life. Uh, he's also, unfortunately, not currently signed by the UFC, but I could see the olive branch now being extended now that he, now that he is free from the corruption. Uh, to put it nicely, yes, Diego Sanchez, no longer with Josh. I, I said I did it. I did it, guys. I, 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 I'm not. I'm not apologizing. I'm not apologizing. Diego Sanchez. I win the point. No, I win no, 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 no. Diego Sanchez now free from Joshua Fabia. Bring him back. Let's have this fight at 170. Give me Diego and Tony Ferguson. Yes, give me two of MMA's greatest characters, wild men. Yes, I know they've had some that they're, you know, as much as they're beloved for their sort of out there spacey personalities that that has occasionally, you know, uh, gone into some dark territory, which doesn't need to be mentioned. But for the most part, they've always been fan favorites for the sort of their unique view of the world, for their exciting fights. I'm saying if you can, if if Diego Sanchez and the UFC are cool, 
uh, despite some of the truly, truly bizarre things that Diego has had to say in the last in the last month or so. If they can patch that up, give me Diego and Tony Ferguson at 170. Loser least town if you want. I don't know. I, I guess that would be the assumption, loser least town. I don't feel you need to brand it that way, but it's probably what's going to happen. Give me that fight. I, I'm speak, I, I don't know if I'm the first person to speak this to existence right now, but if I am, I'm proud of it. I own it. Ferguson, Diego Sanchez. You had Robbie mm-hmm. Lawler. Mm-hmm. You said Robbie mm-hmm. Lawler. That sure. is actually a really good answer. Yeah. And then Woodley, Woodley, I would love that too. That. I, I I just think I just think some something can be done at 170. Like we said, there's just so many killers of 155. We're not having a good time if we throw in there with Makachev and like you said, and then that drops him down the rankings. Even once you go like 15 to like 25, there's a lot of good wrestlers and just killers that are like. And I I, I guess I'm not ready to see him used as a stepping stone yet. And I'd rather, like I said, you just throw him in there for fun fights. You don't worry about oh, does this win? You know, is this person going to elevate their name with Ferguson or is Ferguson going to elevate his name off of them? I, I don't want to worry about that right now. I think we have some, I think we have some some fun fights for him still. So you know me, MMA is always supposed to be fun. Maybe I'm not looking at the big picture enough here, but if I'm just looking at what's potentially next and what could be a, a good role to actually keep him around, uh, as opposed to just again using him as a stepping stone for other people, maybe there's fun fresh fights at 170. Don't worry about the contender stuff or, or matching him up with again a, a bad bad uh, with up and comers or bad matchups for him. Just fun fights. Why not? <laughs> go ahead <laughs> yes i i don't even amazing I don't have I'm, amazing like, i know I, sometimes Diego I, sanchez is just yep. not the answer to fun fight oh. <laughs> sometimes oh. i amaze myself chad i'll be honest with you. sometimes i amaze myself i will admit to being i would have been marginally interested in tyron woodley but woodley is no longer under a UFC contract and is chasing Jake Paul around. That would have been mildly interesting. Diego Sanchez, please don't do that. Please, please do not do that. I'll take anyone else. I'm not, anyone. I'm not taking. I'm not taking you back. <laughs> I'm not taking. All right. Back. Well, we will. Uh, we will move ahead for the sake of time. The lightweight division is going to be very fun in the next several months. It'll be interesting to see where Tony Ferguson goes from here. Big win for Benil Dariush. Shout out to Benny. For the big victory, he deserves a lot of shine. If we had more time, we might be able to give him some here. But uh, this matchup between AK and Jed will be interesting the rest of the way. And one thing we've learned about the show is that it's not about whether or not we agree with the individual. It's how they present their argument. Are they passionate about it? Do they take us on a fun journey that makes us think and ponder life and be like, wow, that's a really good point. So with that being said, the point for round two goes to – is there a drum roll? There it is. I got to give it to Jed. <laughs> I got to give it okay, to Jed. Thank you. Oh, no. That's a really good point. I was oh. like, please tell me you're not going Diego Sanchez. Is a really good point. I, I don't regret it. You know what? I do it again. I do it again. Good for you. Again. <laughs> I, I, I took it more as he just blended Diego in with the point he was trying to make that no. we don't want Tony to be the stepping stone. We don't want him to put put the young folk over on the way up. We want to just give him fights with names. And and I, I see where he's coming from, but I just can't in good, you know, in no. good nature. Just I can't, just can't do it. So was, AK is going to have to battle back. That wasn't blended in. That, that was the lead of my, Casey, clip it. Clip that was it. a lead? Put it up. That was a lead of my point. That, that wasn't blended in with my other... 
the the other name the other names were just to lead you guys into Diego. That was the trick. That was to like fool you into thinking I was I was maybe gonna say something like rational, and then no, no, I was planning to bring up Diego the whole time. Look, I gotta okay. respect it. The man came with a hot take. That man came with a hot take, and I gotta respect that. You sure did. Um, so well, let's move ahead in this matchup. Let's move ahead to this Saturday night because the UFC is back in the apex in Las Vegas. UFC Vegas 27, a really undersold, at least in my opinion, main event at 135 pounds between Rob Font and former champion Cody Garbrandt. A terrific matchup. Font's looking to, to get at the top of the title conversation. Garbrandt trying to get back there. And as he said at the uh, at the media day, he wants to get himself at the top of title talk in two divisions. So you got a great fight with two really good strikers. Both guys can finish. Jed, we'll begin with you. What are your thoughts on this main event, and what is at stake for these two gentlemen on Saturday? Well, it's good. Um, it's it's not a – I don't feel like it's main event. Honestly, I feel like the co-main event should be the main event. I know why it's not. The UFC is invested in Cody Garbrandt, though I'm not entirely sure why. I don't feel like he is a star, but they sure seem to think he is. Um, perhaps it's just the neck tattoo reminds him of Connor. So it's a good fight, though. Like, Rob Font is unheraldedly great, um, and Cody Garbrandt, I want to call him great because he certainly has the ability to be that, but he is very glass cannony, and so it's tough to know if he actually is great or he just had a great run in him that one time, and now we'll have flashes of it. I tend towards the latter, but I'm willing to be wrong there. Uh, it's a good fight. It's going to be really fun. As far as what's on the line, honestly, I don't think too terribly much is on the line right now. Um, a lot's on the line for Rob Font because if Rob Font loses this, he's kind of done. Like He's not done. He'll hang around. He'll get good top 10 wins because he's still a really good fighter. But he, it feels like this is the part of his career where he has to go on the run if he wants to get to a belt. He's coming off the biggest win of his career, the Marlon Marais knockout. If he comes out and beats Cody Garbrandt, those two wins, like uh, Rob, he's you know, look at. So Font's third, like he's the third ranked bantamweight. Um, if he beats Garbrandt here, Garbrandt's fourth. Uh, I think you could talk him into a title fight, or uh, maybe he has to do a title eliminator just because it's a bit log jam at the top of one thirty-five with the Aljo. Peter Jan, I think they're going to fight next, though Aljo has been saying things lately that he doesn't want to do that fight, whether that's just to poke the bear or not. I don't know. Uh, but, like, he, if Font loses this, he never gets a title fight. If he wins this, he might get one, or he might at least get a title eliminator next. So it's big stakes for him. For Garbrandt, it actually doesn't matter at all. Like, it does matter because if he wins, Garbrandt is in the same – position basically like he either gets the next he gets a title fight next or he has to fight one more and gets one but if he loses he can always go down the flyweight like they set the the davison figueredo fight once before they can do that again kind of that's a back pocket fight they can pull that out whenever they want to um or he can just hang around 135 because they really like him so he doesn't have to do nearly as much as rob font has to do to get a title fight so for me I don't actually like the winner of this isn't getting a title fight outright unless something happens and somebody falls sick or, you know, gets injured or whatever, but it does set them up for a title eliminator and the loser, you know, if font loses, he's done from ever making a title run. If Garbrandt loses, whatever, he'll get another one in a couple of years. Cause 
they just like him, so it doesn't matter. What do you think, AK? Uh, my first, I want to touch upon something you said that this main event feels a little, I don't know if it's underpromoted, but I mean, kind of under underexposed. And, and that sort of uh, speaks to this greater point of like, I, I hate, you know how much we love the Bantamweight division. I feel like the UFC has done such a poor job of promoting it. Uh, and billing it up. Like, say what you want about uh, Henry Cejudo. I found his antics completely uh, annoying and just, like, pointless and dumb. But but he understood something. He understood the UFC is like me. The UFC is not like, – the reason he's saying, like, oh, I saved the flyweight division and then, you know, I'm going to 135 and blah, blah, and just bringing all this heat – he, he at least he at least found a way to create like publicity for himself and like build up that you know the fight with Dominic Cruz stuff like that. So so I'll give him credit for that in a way that the UFC for some reason and I'm not saying it's only bantamweights, but bantamweights definitely one of the divisions that despite it being so good right now, having both star power and uh, and up and coming guy contenders and something like that they just, I don't know, they just don't seem to know how to push it. And this is an example. It's like, it's like Jed said, why, why put Garbrandt in the main events? Uh, if you're, if you're just going to kind of overlook it, if you're just not, not going to give this a proper promotional push that it deserves. Um, again, maybe they don't care for Rob Font. That's fine. They should. He's a very exciting fighter and, and he's, he's on a winning streak, but even the Garbrandt side of it, I've barely seen, I'm barely getting that fight week feel um, that it's like, you know, former champion Cody Garbrandt coming off a highlight reel knockout. Like, I'm just, I'm not seeing that anywhere. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm just missing it, but I, I, that's the vibe I'm getting is that this is, this is being missed out on. I don't want to downplay the stakes also, uh, that this is for, for Garbrandt. I know, uh, Jed is saying it's a lot more important for Font. He is older than Cody. I still think that this isn't his like last run. I still feel like he can take a loss to a Cody. Uh, and and somehow build his way back up, but it would it would certainly enter that un uh, unlikely realm that we discussed way way back at the four, four hours ago when we started this show. Um, so so yeah, so it's it certainly it certainly is high stakes for Rob Font, but I think it is for Garbrandt as well. Even though yes, he could go down to one twenty five, there is a perception around you that it, it only lasts so long. Uh, and while the UFC does like him and fans like him, and he has these huge wins to like live off of. It, it can go so quickly. Um, so if he loses a competitive decision, I don't think that's the worst thing. If he gets like smoked inside, inside of a round again uh, by another contender, that's when you start getting that reputation the other way. Uh, and maybe it's already started. Maybe it already started after the the, the two Dillashaw losses and the, the Pedro Munoz loss. But but at some point you become that guy as opposed to the contender that you've been pushed as for so long. And that's a very scary place to be. I don't care if you're 135, 125, Stoneman, there, Figueroa, everyone would be predicting you get knocked out uh, if that happens. So... I do think it's important for him to at least um, have a competitive uh, fight, if not a win. Because if he gets knocked out again, you're going to see that reputation and, and some of these main event opportunities. They're going to disappear real fast. Yeah, I really, li- I really like this fight. It's good. Gives you know, th- it's just really well matched. I really like it. Like you give Font the opportunity for years. It was always this guy's so talented, but he cannot win the big fight. Like you put him up in there against a the top ten guy, he just can't do it. He just can't get it done, and he finally did it uh, with the Marlon Marais fight. Now you got Cody Garbrandt looking to build off that incredible knockout. He's been dealing with a lot in the last year as well, so that fight's really interesting. And as good as that fight is, it's not the fight on the card that has the highest stakes. That one belongs to the co-main event between Yan Nan and Carla Esparza because the winner is pretty much guaranteed a title fight against Rose Namajunas at 115 pounds. Both women are... Are rolling right now. Spars has won four in a row. Janan's won 11 in a row. She's 6-0 and in the UFC. Huge fight at 115 AK. So my question is, 
What do you believe is the better result for the UFC in this division moving forward? A Jan Jonan win or a Carlos Esparza win? I mean, it's a big difference between what I think is, is like necessarily the, the more interesting matchup. Because, I mean, how, I don't think you can argue against uh, Jan Jonan being the better win for the UFC. I think they saw what a what a boon it was for them internationally to have uh, Zhang Weili win the title. I'm sure they would love to have another uh, another fighter from China in that title picture again. Uh, Yan Zhanan's again a good a, a good fighter, uh, pretty 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 ex- uh, compelling stand up style. Um, so so yeah, I, I think they would lean that way. But I actually think if we're just talking storylines, other than other than I, I hope they wouldn't go this way. I'm just go like, oh well, Rose just beat you know one champion from china can she hold off another challenge from china which would i could see happening would be super lazy i don't want that because i think there's so much more there storyline wise with uh esparza again they they fought for the inaugural title esparza like completely outclassed her in their first fight which now seems like a lifetime ago and people don't even seem to remember that carla was the first champion um but yeah but this is something that happened you can look back and it's almost mind-blowing now if you watch that fight and go like, holy crap, like Asparza was clearly on another level. And now they've, you know, now they've obviously kind of flipped spots. So for me, the storyline there is so obvious. And it's also a, a happy a happy story for Asparza too, who's a hardworking veteran. Yeah, she wins some close decisions. You know, maybe, maybe some of these uh, cards shouldn't have gone her way. But a win is a win. She's fought her way back to the top. That's what we ask of these veterans. You know, we, we always say, well, do they have one last run in them? This is her last run. And it would be a great way to cap it off to at least get that shot at Rose. And for Rose, every champion, I think, wants to avenge their losses. So it works out for her as well. Um, so from a financial standpoint, I understand the, the Yan Xiaonan stuff. I understand the, the other, that big audience you could potentially bring in. But I, I'll, I'll lean towards uh, Carla. I think it's an it's a easier fight to sell. So I kind of went with, I'm, I'm going Carla. I know I started with, with Yan Xiaonan. I'm saying Carla is who the UFC should want to win. All right, let, let me sort of rephrase it, Jed, uh, kind of towards AK's point, because obviously the best thing for business would be Yan, Yan Jonan because you can attack that other fan base and for sure. But just interest wise, like, and I know there's a storyline with Carla, but like, what what fight would you rather see? Would you rather see Rose versus Carla? Or would you rather see Rose versus Yan Jonan? I'd definitely rather see Rose versus Yan Jonan. Like, I, I get all of AK's points. I don't think they're wrong. I, I think the, the obvious answer to your original question is very clearly on Janan because that gives the UFC a shot to have a Chinese champion. And that's something that would benefit them tremendously financially, whether it's a great shot. I don't know. Uh, I sort of assume Rose would still get the job done against either of these women, but uh, I, I'm just not that interested in a Rose as far as a rematch. It's a good story and I will watch it, but Rose on is just puts the wood to Carlos Bars at this point. Like this, that's not a the fight's not going to be competitive. Uh whereas Yan Jianan, I, I would favor Rose to win and she may well, you know, put the wood to Yan too. Like I just I don't I haven't I I don't know enough to feel like super confident in that because Yan Jianan does have a striking style that can maybe be different or maybe there's something more competitive there. Like that's it's just a much more compelling fight to me. Uh, plus, I think the the key factor that everyone's overlooking here is if if Yan Jonan gets gets to win the title, then we could be looking at a situation where by the end of 2021, we have a, a Yan Jonan as a champion, Jan Blahovich is a champion, and and 
Peter Jan is a champion. <laughs> I feel that as much has been made about the three Nigerian champions, the three Jans as, as title holders, we could do a whole marketing campaign behind it, and it would be spectacular. So we should all be rooting for that one. And that's all I have to say. <laughs> wow, this took a this took quite the turn. Jed throwing in a it's like Jed dropping AK in the final seconds of the round. I, wow. I, hate, I hate that I I hate that I'm smiling at this. I'm just imagining our hashtag <laughs> our hashtag like yeah hashtag yon yon yon. Oh. I'm so mad. I'm so mad that I. I'm so mad that I got. I got. I got caught just before the just before the bell. I put let my guard down. Uh, it's Man. very frustrating. I've been sitting on well, that one have... for a while. I'm really excited. I can get <laughs> out here. Oh man, we, we there's a lot more weekend MMA action to discuss in the final round of regulation. For the sake of time, we're going to move ahead. But the point for round three goes to. Although Jed made it close, AK gets the point. It's two to one. I just got out of there. I got out of there. A wasted triple yawn. He threw, he threw a <laughs> yawn, yawn, yawn capoeira kick at the end that I didn't see coming. I was like, oh, what the- uh, So let's uh, let's head to tomorrow night, gentlemen. Bellator is back once again in uh, majestic, scenic Uncasville, Connecticut. Mohegan Sun Arena, Bellator 259, main event. Chris Cyborg versus Leslie Smith, two for the featherweight title. We get a rematch between Darian Caldwell and Leandro Ego. In the co-main event, we got Austin Vanderford versus Fabian Edwards. We get that's a big one at 185. We got Jaleel Willis versus Macon Mendonca. Valerie Lareda is back. She opens up the main card against Hannah Guy. We get the Bellator debut of Brett Johns versus Danny Sabatello. That's an interesting matchup. We got a lot more than that. So AK. How would you gauge your excitement levels for Bellator's next offering tomorrow? Do you want a letter grade? Do you want to add a ten? You know, I'll just now answer the question. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'll say this: I'm excited about it enough that I, I, I mentioned this on uh, on the A side. I'm excited about it enough that I actually I kind of forgot that it was the Invicta FC uh, Access TV debut on Friday. That wouldn't normally be the case, except for the fact that Bellator is. It has a show with one of the greatest women's fighters of all time and a respected veteran in Leslie Smith uh, headlining their show. So if you're looking at two shows uh, headlined by, by female fights, I, I, women's fights, I couldn't help it. Okay, I, I focused on Bellator. But just to remind people, I'll give a quick shout out to Invicta. They are on and they're on. It's on YouTube, guys. It's on YouTube. So that can be watched. And I think it's before Bellator. It'll run somewhat concurrently. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's some excitement uh, for the Bellator card. I think I think anytime you can watch Chris Cyborg compete, it's fun. I know it's a rematch. I know uh, 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 people are going to look back on like their first fight, like why would I want to see this again? You get to see Chris Cyborg in action. She's a great fighter. You know what? What? What needs to be said, right? So, so that 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 is always something to be anticipated. And I think they've also done a good job of putting uh, people on this card in in matchups that could really showcase, like uh, <laughs> that could really showcase, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, guys are just looking for an opportunity. Okay, like uh, you mentioned Fabian Edwards, uh, Austin Vanderford fight. I think that's a, a no-lose. I call that a no-lose fight uh, for Bellator. I think either way, whoever wins, as long as it's not a boring fight, fingers crossed. I think as long as someone wins, you, you, you've got someone who you can you can sort of push. And um, I know they like both guys, so that's that's fun. Valerie Rado, of course, super exciting. 
uh, always someone you want to see. Uh, you want to see compete. She does all the right things. Lover or hater, you know, could be one of the uh, those fighters that's becoming a bit of a polarizing figure. But as you know, as you say in this business, you either want people cheering for you or booing for you, and she gets plenty of both. So uh, that's 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 always a good thing. And then yeah, and I think they've done a really good job building their prelims to the point that like I'm surprised some of these fights are on the prelims. Um, I know originally Laredo was supposed to be on there, and like I said, with with respect to guys like Julio Willis and and uh, Mendoza, like. You could have put um, you could have put Brett Johns on there, uh, Shabley and Davis. It's a really nice looking prelims, and this isn't the first time. If people look back at sort of the prelims they've had since they've done their uh, return from COVID, the prelims have had some really good fights and really uh, really promising names on it. So I give I give uh, I give Beltor a lot of credit for that. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely excited for it. What I go to say as far as say more excited than I am for the UFC card. Uh, no, I'll, if I'm, I'm going to lean a little towards more, I'm still anticipating um, a lot of the fights in that UFC show on Saturday. Yeah, what, what do you think, Jed? I mean, next weekend. Look, next weekend's a long holiday weekend. We get a, we actually get a reprieve from the UFC and Bellator. We get a, like a rare weekend off from watching fight cards and and covering events. This is uh, it's nice, but. Now we get a little twofer going on. We got Bellator, actually a threefer. Bellator and Victa. We got the UFC, but this Bellator card tomorrow. You dig it? You like this one? It's solid. Um, there are a number of good fights. It, it's kind of classic Bellator in a lot of ways where there are definitely some high points. Uh, space sort of all around the card. Uh, the fact that Brett Johns is like second from the opener or whatever, like that fight, um, um, Danny Sabatello, like that, that's going to be a fun fight. Like that's kind of wild that that's not a main card fight, but – uh, I mean, there's just a lot of good stuff going on here. Austin Vanderford, uh, Fabian Edwards is a really good fight. The big problem is it it has it's too long. There are 13 fights on it, and a couple of those fights are not fights that people that there's any touch point to really care about. And then it's headlined by a fight that just no one cares because it it's a foregone conclusion. There's there's no outcome that doesn't end with Chris Cyborg getting her hand raised. And so that kind of, you know, the main event will bring – it brings the whole card down in that respect. It's unfortunate, you know, there's not really much that can be done about it. And I got all the love in the world for Leslie Smith. I think that she has the potential to be one of the most important figures in the history of MMA. But that's for everything that's not her in-cage ability, which isn't lacking, but it's lacking in this context. Like, so, you know, I'm – I – it's just it kind of drops because of the main event for me, but it's still a very solid card with a lot of fights that do matter a lot. Yes, yeah, so yes, Chris Cyborg back on Showtime. That's a pretty cool thing. First time in about a decade or so. Uh, second title offense. We, we saw this fight before at UFC 198. It was the Bella is the excuse me UFC debut of Chris Cyborg. They fought at 140. They made Cyborg cut that extra weight. Cyborg stops her in the first round. Smith has been saying for years that. The fight shouldn't have been stopped. She was intelligently defending herself. The odds makers don't necessarily, they absolutely do not agree with her since Cyborg is a minus 1200 favorite tomorrow night. But MMA is a wacky sport and, uh, you know, anything can happen. But Jed, let's let's assume the majority of folks like yourself read this one right and Cyborg walks out of that beautiful Mohegan Sun arena with that title wrapped around her waist. Now what? What the hell do we do now? That's a tremendous question. Um, that is the million dollar question for Bellator and there's not a good answer because there, the division doesn't exist. 
the UFC, be it spite for Bellator and Chris Cyborg or genuine affection for Amanda Nunes, is not just folding their own 145-pound division. So a division that has like eight women in it total is has all the talent split up amongst two organizations, three if you want to talk PFL, though that's questionable. Um, so really I th- the only fight that they can – build towards and they can't even do that now it is the the kayla harrison cyborg fight but that's a year plus off you know like they're just just have her have her collect a check against whoever um honestly i can't even remember who is on a win streak in peltor's featherweight division right now but like it does you just put her in against somebody you make it the chris cyborg showcase you keep her active happy and build towards the Kayla Harrison fight that you can hopefully make happen middle of next year. Yeah. Okay. I think, I think there's one name that probably makes a lot of sense here. Maybe you can come up with it. She might have to win one more fight, but that's probably okay because of where timing is. Bellator could go out and get a Megan Anderson perhaps and get a little bit of name value. But you have to imagine cyborg is a massive, massive favorite, maybe even a bigger favorite than tomorrow night's fight. But Jed mentioned it. There's Kayla Harrison. She's going to be a big-time free agent at the end of the PFL season. UFC is going to be in. Everyone's going to be in on this party. So if you're Bellator, you're obviously going all in on Kayla. You're just sending a blank check to her team saying, fill in the amount and we'll bring you over. But in the meantime, what do we do? Like, Cyborg, more than likely, at least we all assume she's going to win tomorrow night. What are you doing between trying to get Kayla Harrison over? Because you might not get her. You got to give her somebody. I, look, I don't know if there's a lot you can do. There's just – I've been telling this people for – I've always been saying, and I know people complain, like, why can't UFC build a, 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 a women's featherweight division? Why can't Bellator build a solid women's belt, uh, featherweight division? How hard is it to go out there and find these women? And, like, I'll tell you something. It's super effing hard, okay? Because as I've tried to explain it so many times, once you've reached a uh, – if you're, if you're a, a woman athlete and you're of a, of a certain physical ability and, you, and also a certain amount of skill and talent – once you start reaching that size, there's other sports that you would want to consider playing that will make you more money. So unfortunately, uh, women's featherweight and, and up and uh, women's lightweight, if we're talking about, want to talk about like the PFL, uh, they, get, they get the trickle down from the other sports. That's just, that's, I know it's a cold blooded thing to say. And by the way, this is true of uh, men's heavyweights as well. Uh, people always ask, why are all these heavyweights like, you know, why are some of them not, you know, kind of uh, not in, in uh, peak, peak condition? Because again, if you're that size and you're that coordinated and you're in amazing shape, you're probably playing another sport. So, uh, so I, I know that's a bit of a tangent, but what I'm just saying is there, there's you keep. I kind of agree with Jed. You keep trotting Cyborg out, and you just give her fights because she is the attraction. We know outside of Amanda Nunez, outside of Kayla Harrison, outside of maybe Megan Anderson, there's no one that's going to be viewed as a threat to her anyway. So you kind of she has to be the special attraction. I, I would almost compare her to like an Andre the Giant. Uh, from the old old WWE uh, and near the sort of more near the end of his career, where you're you're not building. Look, you're, you're not building around competitive matchups for this person. That's just not how it is. You are essentially saying, you know, this is your 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 chance to see this fighter uh, for as long as you can. That's the appeal of it. How many more times Chris Cyborg fight? We don't know. Every time, every year, it could be you know the, her last two fights, her last three fights. It's kind of a weird, like again, that's that's a weird way to sell someone. I don't know if you can put that in a poster. You know, I don't know if you can put that in a in a thirty second promo. 
But until uh, until a Kayla Harrison thing happens, the the other cool thing would be is if they could just ignore weight classes and you just go freak show. You know, I don't know who's out there again that would be willing to jump in there, Chris Cyborg. But I remember when uh, Ryzen was just trotting out old <laughs> 40, 50 year old former professional wrestlers to fight uh, Gabby Garcia. I don't know if you want to go fully that route. But if you could convince, if you could somehow convince some athletes to take a paycheck, uh, <laughs> one forty-five pounds and up, uh, to, to get punched in the face by Chris Cyborg, I think that'd be amazing. I, I just, I don't know if that's going to happen with Bellator, but that's really the only way I could go. Uh, shout out, hashtag shout outs to uh, to Fight Circus. Um, but again, <laughs> unless they're going to go full Fight Circus, uh, you know, Chris Chris Cyborg takes on two atom weights. I think Bellator is in a bit of a bind here, and you got to just keep trotting out. Um, solid, respectable fighters who have all but zero chance to actually be a threat to her. Wow. The, <laughs> the correct answer, by the way, is Kat Zingano. Just throwing that out there. That's the name oh, you throw yeah. out there. That's that at least is a, is a name that you could put her in next to. Go ahead, Jen. We're, we're just not going to talk about AK stealing my corner. Like, I'm I'm sorry. Stealing your corner. We are, we are co-fights... Hold on, we are co-fight circus guy. Whoa, let's not let's let's hold on now. We oh, we've both been on this yeah. train from day one. We both we are misfits partners, Fighting my friend. Dirty. Come on, Fighting we have been dirty. on this train what from day one. You are John Nutt. Dirty. I think John. I think John Nutt might have followed me first. I'm just gonna. Say, I don't know. I can't remember. John oh, Nutt. Wow. I'm just saying. Fight circus commentator oh. and you executive John Nutt might have followed me first. Is right here. The gloves oh, are oh, off now. Oh, you better not come into my wheelhouse with I'm just that kind of attitude, because now we're now <laughs> things are coming. We're both good, we're both good. men of, of we're both men of fine taste who love fight circus. All right, that's look. It doesn't have to okay. be either or. All right, I'm glad the gloves are off. The timing is perfect for this because it's time for my favorite question of the week, and we're not talking low key banger for Bellator. We're talking low key banger of the weekend. So. It could be Bellator, it can be the UFC, it could be Invicta. Low-key banger for the weekend, Jed Mishu. What, what, what can we expect? What are you going to be talking about? This is difficult because there. this was a weekend of low-key bangers. We talked about it like nobody cares that fights are happening this weekend. <laughs> and there are a lot of like low-key good ones. Dude, Demir Ismogolov is opening the UFC card. He has a win over It's like he's a good fighter and he's fighting to open the show. I, you know, I love heavyweights. Ben Rothwell is fighting Chris Barnett, who I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know much about Chris Barnett, but his topology <gasps> picture is delightful. So I've seen him fight like twice and I've seen his topology picture. And now I want to go to war for that man. So oh, that's going to be fun. Uh, we haven't mentioned the Edmund Shabazi and like the next dude at 185 at one point is fighting Jack Manson in like a super important middleweight bout. The UFC's got a lot going on. I talked about Brett Johns and how he's a curtain jerker for Bellator. Great. I got two answers, and I'm gonna leave. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say the one that I feel in my heart, and then I'm gonna tell you the correct answer. The one I feel in my heart is that Invicta isn't getting any shine, and both of their title fights this weekend should be really fun scraps. So shout out to Invicta. Watch that. But the one that I believe is with everything, because I knew I'd get a buzzer by shouting out Invicta, but the one that I believe is fancy Yancey Medeiros is taking on Demir Hadzovic 
And when has Fancy Yancy ever done anything but be incredibly enjoyable television? Like, again, this is a super early prelim on the UFC. Tamir Hadzvik is a, is a good time to watch. And Fancy Yancy is just an absolute nutcase. Hawaii all day. Let's go. <laughs> I believe this is Fancy Yancy's final fight on his UFC deal as well. So you know he's going to be coming out oh, slanging. AK, what's yours? Well. What do you got, AK? It's it, it's it's infuriating to me that uh, Rothwell versus uh, Barnett is even in this discussion because it should be like the co-main event, not a not a, it shouldn't <laughs> even be a deep cut. I don't know why the UFC keep we, we were we were discussing this off off camera, but uh, I don't know why the UFC refuses to book Ben Rothwell in on the main card. Maybe it's his choice. I don't know why it would be, but Ben Rothwell, of course, a veteran, always fun, uh, unpredictable. Chris Barnett has been around forever. I know, I know uh, Jed's drawing a blank with him, but we've definitely uh, written about him in this fist before, either for like a crazy knockout or a crazy dance. Probably both, probably both in the same fight. Uh, he's such a character and, and one of those guys that like, you probably, I, I, if you, I would have said, oh, he's probably never going to make it to the UFC at this point. He's just been around forever. So it's just so cool. And he's fighting another guy who was, I mean, was once a journeyman before the UFC and now is a, a UFC lifer, uh, Ben Rothwell. So that's awesome. So that would be, I mean, my deep cut choice from the UFC card. Uh, I like, um, but I, even deeper, Brett Johns Sabatello again. Why is this on the prelims? Brett Johns is coming over from the UFC on a win streak. He's a super exciting submission fighter. Uh, Sabatella, Mike, you spoke to him. The guy is saying all the right things, man, about like, <laughs> he's, he's like, I'm going to F up Sergio Pettis. And I'm like, Danny Sabatello, who are you? Who are you? I, I, I'm sorry. I, I should probably know who he is. I know he's a Titan FC champion, but it's great. He's stepping on a short notice. He's a, he's an American top team guy. So he's got a great, you know, he's got a great camp surrounding him. He could upset Brett Johns. I don't know. The dude's a wild card, and that's so exciting to me. But I, I wish that was on the main card. So that's another deep cut. Um, uh, I, I love. I, I'm, I'm, I'm full agreement with uh, with uh, Jed on the on the Invicta stuff. I mean, I'm probably eyeing more the Alicia Zapatella fight and uh, the Daboni fight. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not as familiar with Karina Rodriguez and uh, Tocado, but Zapatella, I do think, is someone we'll see in the UFC uh, sooner rather than later. I think there's a lot of star potential there. So hopefully, she shows out, and then. Mike, I'm going even deeper because LFA also has a card on uh, on Friday, and that's going to be on Fight Pass, and it's headlined by a guy I like to call Josh. I'm not your friend, uh, fighting Gregory Rodriguez. Friend uh, is friend is another guy that has been featured in Miss Fist at least once uh, because he's coming off a string of just first round like obliterations of people. So he's probably uh, sort of vacant LFA title. He's probably one win away from either getting call up or or locking down like a contender series spot next year for sure. Um, but definitely on the UFC's radar. So Josh Fremd, um, watch out for that guy. That's, so that's my super 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 deep cut. And again, it's on Fight Pass. So even if you can't catch it live Saturday Saturday morning Sunday Sunday afternoon, man, it's, it's something you can always watch. So nice weekend we got for sure. Nice weekend of fights. Or read Miss Fist next week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Watch week. watch for the clip. Yeah, watch that clip. Yeah, D- Danny Sabatello was on the Contender Series, working mm. dudes with 30-24 scorecards and didn't get a contract. So mm. he's got a little bit and of a chip on his shoulder. Brett Johns, and it's a freaking <laughs> curtain jerker. Bellator weird. doesn't so weird. any sense. <laughs> go watch, go watch that interview. It's up, it's up right now by itself. I think it's like the, the most recent thing on our page. Go watch that interview with Danny Sabatello. The guy is on fire absolutely on fire and i and i dug it quite a bit but uh the point for round four 
Because this this was good stuff. Goes to. We're going to the knockout round. Alexander Kaylee coming through with the deepest of deep cuts. I respect. And that. you know what's funny? Okay. It, yeah, and you know what's funny? A lot. Okay. You know, people know how this game works. You know, we're probably going to the final round anyway. But this is this is well earned. This is no this is no tomfoolery. This is nothing. You can't say you swept the scorecards or anything like that. This is this is a, a legit comeback from AK <laughs> winning two straight. And now we're going to go to the knockout round. And one question Thank will you, decide jo- it all. Hat tip, Josh Fremd. Thank you, Josh Fremd. I think it was Josh yes. Fremd that put it over the top. <laughs> it was my best friend shouting out Josh Fremd. But uh, listen, each participant will have 60 seconds to respond to the question that they have no idea about, although they might know because we had some breaking news on the site a little while ago. It was already mentioned on the show, but we're going to talk about that. Right now, trending worldwide, by the way, hashtag yan, yan, yan. So keep that in mind. Let's get that thing rolling. Let's get to number one. Yan, yan, yan. Y-J-Y. Y-J-Y. Yan, yan, yan. Uh, but listen, once these guys give their responses, we'll turn it over to the man, the myth, the legend, baddest stash in the game, the judge, E. Casey Lydon, he will render the final decision. Now, AK, since you were the one coming off of a victory, you have the prerogative. You won last week. You want to go first, or do you want to turn it over to your good pal, Jed? Hmm, what will I do? Mike, what will I do? What will I do? Uh, Geez, you know, it's such a tough... No, of course I'm going first. I always go first, and my record shows why that's always a good decision. So lay it on me, Michael Heck. Lay it on me. Well, unfortunately, you pissed me off earlier because you uh, you gave away kind of the final question. So you weren't going to get the point anyways, even though Jed kind of worked you at the end. But yes, so we found out at around 4 p.m. Eastern time, our own Stephen Morocco confirmed that Diego Sanchez, a guy we spoke about on the Gauntlet show in a, in a very sad and upsetting way, has ended his professional relationship with Joshua Fabian. Now, no specific details were given other than that we did learn however that fabia also no longer has power of attorney over diego sanchez and at the forefront of this all this is a long time coming i'm not sure how it happened but the important thing is that it's happened and diego can now move on from that chapter it seems and go on to do other things now i guess my question is what does that mean now like does this mean that he goes somewhere else and fights. Cause I can tell you that talking to other promoters, they didn't hate having Diego Sanchez on their roster. They hated having Joshua Fabia as part of the team. So that might open up some doors for Diego Sanchez. You mentioned earlier, maybe we see Diego Sanchez versus Tony Ferguson. He does. He wants to do that retirement fight. So realistically in your heart of hearts, if I gave you 20 bucks and I said, what happens next to Diego Sanchez? Now that Joshua Fabia is out of the equation. What are you putting your 20 bucks on? One minute on the clock. Your time starts now. Q. We'll, we'll fix this in post. Q. Diddy, dirty money. Coming home. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Tell the world. I'm coming home. Yes. Yes. A lot has been said in the media. Diego has gone as far as to say, I'm worried that the UFC is uh, is, is, is following uh, me and Fabio around and, uh, and, and it might assassinate me. Some pretty strong words. And as also we know of the details, of course, there was medical kind of reasons to make this separation. Uh, you know, we, we've seen the letters of, of asking for the medical records. But I do think a lot of this was 
was based around what was going on with Fabio. Not all of it, not all of it. You know, Diego's had his career problems for sure, uh, probably even before Fabio, but all fences can be mended, especially when it comes to combat sports, especially when there's money to be made. I don't know if he comes back on a multi-fight deal, but does the UFC give Diego Sanchez a chance to close out his career in the octagon and say a proper farewell to his fans? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you bet they do. He's coming back. All right. We heard from AK, staunch believer in Diego Sanchez, ending his career at the UFC. One more fight. Now we head on over to Jed Mishu, who has been in this position many times and has come through many times. One minute on the clock, same question for you. This is a much more lighter Diego Sanchez conversation than the last one you were a part of, because that was a sad one, but we took a nice step forward in the positive direction. What does that mean, at least for the career of Diego Sanchez, now that Joshua Fabia, at least for the time being from a business sense and professional sense, is no longer part of this equation? One minute on the clock. Jed Mishu, your time starts now. I'd first like to say that I'm really, really disappointed that my last two times on BTL I've had to talk about uh, the man who will just be referred to as a piece of shit. Uh, so that's not cool. I hope next time when I'm defending my interim title, we can move on to cooler subjects. Uh, I think it's really complicated. I'd be pretty shocked if Diego came back. I know Dana White, when all this was going on, Dana White said that he had a great relationship with Diego and he was really concerned about him. But I, a lot of things were said and some of the stuff said by Diego is I just don't think that stuff that Dana White is going to be willing to kind of move past Dana White I mean not a guy to hold grudges I know I'm insane to think Dana White (laughs) might hold grudges here but I could just see a world where Dana is not okay with the fact that Diego basically intimated Dana might try to have him killed and so he's just going to decide to not work with that guy from a business standpoint when it doesn't give him that much money to do so. So I think he's moving on. Okay. All right. And now it is time for the important decision of all. We turn it on over to the judge, the jury, the executive producer, E. Casey Lydon. Now we'll wait for the peeps to kind of fill in the gaps here, give their responses, who they thought won. Tomorrow, I believe at uh, at 4.30 Eastern, we'll be live back on this page, previewing UFC Vegas 27. It's going to be like a preview show for that event, plus like a pre-fight show in a way for the Bellator event, because we're going to end it right when the Bellator prelim starts. So lots of MMA to discuss. We will see you at 4.30 Eastern tomorrow. We'll talk all about it. Now, Casey Lydon, it is on to you, my friend. Who is wearing the BTL coveted interim title. We're already 90 minutes into this. <laughs> and it comes down to Diego Sanchez and Josh Fabia. Oh boy. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> I mean, AK sang a song, but Jed said more bad words. So, oh boy. Uh, oh, this is the toughest, toughest job in the sport being a judge. I tell you, I tell you. Okay, here we go. <laughs> You're a winner. 
and new interim between the links champion. Jed Mishu. Triple oh, Yon, baby. Wow. Triple Yon. Triple Yon. <laughs> Hashtag Yon, Yon, Yon. There it is. There it is. Trending. More like Yon, Yon, Yon. Am I right, guys? <laughs> Come on. Oh, no. I, I got to recap getting the scores. Like, oh. Hey, Kay, this is after the bell. What are you, Pa Daly here? Think, Come on. I didn't think of it till after. I didn't think of it till after. Oh, I missed the window. I know. I know. Oh, oh, man. You would be blindsided by the brilliance of Triple Yon. <laughs> <laughs> A spirited battle for sure. Jed Mishu, once again, where's BTL gold? Some interim gold, but gold nonetheless. So, Jed, well, you know what, what comes from this. That's me taking the belt off. I don't want interim. I want the real thing, Mike. And I would like to beat Phoenix Carnivale for it, but that seems unlikely because she's much better at this than I am. <laughs> so I hope that she just abdicates and I can win a title that's as fictitious in paper as Charles Oliveira's. That's right. I said it. I'm the villain of this show, and I will maintain that villainy. Paper champion is the lightweight champion right now. The real champion is going to be defending his his actual belt against Dust uh, against Conor McGregor in June. You could all watch it because July. July. What was that? July tenth. July, whatever. Same thing. Who cares? <laughs> Months don't matter. Time is a is a construct. They're fighting. It's going to be awesome, and that will determine your true lightweight champion. Much like I will be your true lightweight champion when Phoenix retires and the number two guy can just take the belt. Well said. Congratulations, Jed. AK, your thoughts on the decision. Casey, can we, first, can we, uh, can we just, uh, let's, no, other way, this one. (laughs) There it is. There it is. Okay. It has to be done. It has to be, it has to be done. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's put it. Hold on. Oh, let me just. There we go. Let's keep it right there. There it is. Uh, yeah. Look, it was. It was. It was. It was a hard. It was hard fought. Uh, I wish I thought of the yon 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 thing sooner. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you something though. I think I won that last round. I really do. I've never said this on the show before. Jed is a is Jed is an experienced champion. He's won many world titles. I, I, I will not be making a formal complaint to the commission. I think I defended my title tonight. If you All didn't right. have a title. I was I thought I was the interim champion. No, you were you, you fought for your spot in the interim title matchup. You're the I won the Alex division to make it to the okay, to the proper yeah, okay. That's I just I forgot. Yeah, yeah you're the twenty four seven champion. Sure, I'm just sure, yeah, so I just got an interim title shot because I just lost to the champion. So <laughs> they just they just let me right into it. This all this all came full circle, which I love. Yes, that's <laughs> you never know what's gonna happen with this with this freaking game. Maybe we'll go 90 minutes. Maybe we'll go 45 talking about Tony Ferguson. Well, we weren't even talking about Tony Ferguson in the question, but that's just I'll what happens here out. in between. We'll go for it. We'll go that's for what it. I'm willing to do to defend the belt, to get the belt and defend it. I'll stay here. I will outlast any man or woman or animal in this BTL arena. 
Well, with that being said, it doesn't get any better than that. Jed drops the truth bomb and we're out of here. So thank you very much for watching. We'll see you back here next week. For Jed Mishu, A.K. Lee, Casey Lydon on the judging and the production side, I am Mike Keck. Esther Lynn, the iconic voice, takes you out of here. See you next week. Good night, everybody. Happy birthday, Jeremy Cruz. Happy this, birthday, A.K. <clears throat> happy birthday, Gwee. This has been Between the Links. My name is Esther Lynn. The subscribe button. Happy birthday, AK. <laughs> You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible. Eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.